We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last year's 10 Gem special on defense was really special. Uh, we introduced our audience to Tariq Woolen, who had yet to blow up the combine and then go on to be a arguably top 10 quarter in the NFL as a rookie. We introduced our audience to Kobe Bryant, also who went to the Seahawks and was a very successful rookie. And we got on the Trayvon Walker train pretty early on, well before people were talking about him as the first overall pick. Uh, we, we talked extensively about all three of those guys from first rounders to fifth rounders, plus many more. And I feel like we had a pretty good year. This year's 10 Gem special on defense, I think is even better. So Jay, roll the intro. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Bootleg Football Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Coleman. That is my wonderful co-host, EJ Snyder. This is the 10 Gem Special on Defense. It's like our third or fourth year of doing this at this point. And if you're new around here and you're not familiar with what the 10 Gem Special is, this is typically how we like to, to start our draft season every year, where we highlight 10 players on offense and defense uh, in two separate shows. EJ gets five, I get five, and we have some honorable mentions in the end. And these are not the five best players on defense. These are just our five favorite players. So there's some first-rounders in here. There's some day-three guys in here. These are just five gems that we really don't want to leave the draft without in no particular order. And uh, usually we like to use these specials to kind of introduce you to either some names that maybe you haven't heard of or maybe that you haven't uh, seen talked about a whole lot, as well as go over some big names that we think really are the real deal. So without further ado, we're not going to waste any more time. We're just going to get right into this thing because this is a meaty episode. EJ, how are you doing? And who is your first gem? I'm good. This is one of my favorite episodes of the year. I love the 10 gems. You and I came up with this uh, trying to make some content three years ago, and it sounded good, and we hit upon the name of gems because we didn't want it to be a list of top talents or fastest guys or biggest guys or combine stars or anything else. We just wanted our guys list, and almost everybody has a my guys list, and this really became a sort of personification of our guys list this is the bootleg guys list we just like these players a lot for different reasons some up high super skilled super talented super well known and then a few that maybe you haven't heard of so i love this list i love this particular year's list this group is really good i i'm not gonna lie i feel a little bit of pressure now 
Uh, this was just a, a whim before. It was just, ah, we'll put a, our guy's list out there. Maybe somebody will look at it. Now people are like, who's, is he a gem? And I'm like, oh, this this is a thing now. Kelly's weight. <laughs> so, you know, we take this really seriously. And it's it's hard. It's really difficult to pare it down. There are obviously more than five great defensive players in this draft. But one of the guys that I looked at that early on I went, nope, he's on the list. Like, I only have four spots to play with because this guy's on the list is Brian branch, the defensive back from Alabama. Mm-hmm. And what sticks out about his game to me is kind of everything. And he's ridiculously skilled. He's versatile. He's active. And when he's on the field, you can tell he yeah. makes impact. Now people will say, Oh, you said DB. Do you think he's a corner? Do you think he's a safety? It's a great question. I think he's a DB and Alabama used him as such played a lot in the slot for them in their star position. Um, He played some deep safety. He played some outside corner for them. He played all over, but typically where I really like him is closer to the line of scrimmage and not because he can't cover a lot Mm -hmm. of times when you say, I like a guy close to the line of scrimmage, it's because, Hey, when that guy turns and runs, uh, you don't necessarily want that. Brian Branch can turn and run with anybody in this draft. And I mean, any corner, any receiver, he's done it. He is ridiculously skilled as a cover guy. He makes big plays in the run. Anything laterally, uh, tosses, screens, forget about it. He knows it's coming. He's got an incredibly quick trigger, loves to hit. Not the biggest guy, hits like a much bigger human being than he is. Um, if I was Brian Branch, I would be forcing teams to draft me as a corner. And, and But wait, EJ, you just said he could play all over. Yeah, he can. Um, I checked with my buddy Brad over at Pro Football Focus. <laughs> Corners make more money. <laughs> Cor- corner tag is $18.1 million. Safety yeah. tag is $14.4 million. So eventually, it's not a draft slot thing. Draft slots are not tied to position in terms of money. They're just t- tied to where you are picked. But when it comes time for Brian Branch to get paid, he should be listed as a corner because he has cornerback-type skills. Not even cornerback-type skills. He has high-level cornerback skills, period, end of story. But he's also that guy. There's a guy every year last year on this list. It was Jalen Petra. Like, and I think Branch is better in reverse than Petra was with the same level of skills around the line that we love Jalen Petra for. Brian Branch is the entire package. You miss him when he's not on the field. When he is on the field, you can't miss him. I, I was trying to come up with like a, a comp for him, and he's a tough comp because the skill set. And the dimensions are are two very different things. You know, he has he has the dimensions of like, I don't want to say like a tiny nickel, but a smaller nickel. But he plays like Derwin James, and what I mean by that is, you want to put Derwin in the slot, he can man up on you, or he can blitz, or he can play the run, or he can blow up screens, <laughs> or even when he's lined up in the slot, if you want to do some kind of like fancy roll where he's bailing out of the nickel and going to play a deep half like you know the stuff that you see wow the sun just came out and my face turned bright white (laughs) i'll do adjust my lighting a little bit um but you know all those like crazy ass coverage rotations that you see around the league like he can do that as well because he's fast enough to get there just like derwin is and so i don't necessarily think that the dimensions are the same but the 
play style and the skill set is very similar. Um, I would also compare that type of skill set to like a Tyron Matthew, somebody who is smaller, but even smaller than branches where nickel. Yes. Plays the run blows up screens and you know, he can do all the, the deep half and the, and the post safety stuff like Tyron could do, or he could be like the lurker over the middle and get a whole bunch of interceptions. Like it's very much like that quintessential hybrid safety nickel type role which when it comes time to get paid, if he is taking most of his snaps in the slot, he will be qualified as a corner. Um, but he's really, to me, like a true nickel. And that's not a backhanded compliment, by the way. I, I, I made this point um, when I was doing the Cardinals rebuild episode and I was talking about Keytrell Clark, another guy who I really love in this class. Didn't make my gems list, but he came really damn close. But nickel is one of the three most important positions on any defense. Um, I would say it's, it's nickel, um, edge rusher. And then it's kind of like a tie depending on the system between boundary corner and nose tackle for different reasons. Again, it kind of depends on the system you're playing here, but nickel in any system is going to be one of the top three most important positions because it's one of the hardest positions to play because they have to do everything. They have to play the run. They have to blitz. They have to blow up screens. They have to cover. They have to do all that shit. And it's really hard to find a good one. There's more really good boundary corners in the league than there are really good nickels. And so if you can find a guy like Brian Branch, who from day one can play that spot, just like Minka did when Minka was coming out of the same system and played the star position and did a little bit of both. Um, if you can find a good one, you draft it early because there's just not very many. Like even in this draft class where there actually is a pretty decent amount of nickels, it's hard to find one that's going to be like top tier in the NFL. It's a really, really hard spot to play. So, uh, yeah, I absolutely agree with Brian Branch. And if you didn't put him on the list, I was probably going to. Yeah, the thing about him that just I kept coming back to is it looks like three different guys, right? You can look at three different plays from Brian Branch and go, oh, man, that is that's the hitter I want at the line of scrimmage. That's the guy that covers super quick slot receivers on two-way goes or that's the guy deep down the field in the seam that's covering tight ends tall receivers short receivers fast receivers like high level cornerback skills and you're like that's the same guy yeah like that's the same guy doing all those things at that level displaying all those skills in one package that's rare my first gem for the 2023 defensive class is somebody who i, I can't remember if we've talked about them uh, already, maybe we touched on them a little bit in the uh, in the draft primer episode when going over the edge class. But I have Will McDonald, the fourth, out of Iowa State, who I think is a little bit of a misunderstood pass rusher because people that just look at box scores or they look at the analytics and you know they see that he had six sacks and they see that. He was among all FBS and FCS combined uh, edge rushers. He was 188th in pass rush win rate at about 15.7%. You need to ignore that. You need to ignore the box scores. You need to ignore uh, the pass rush win rate because if you're just looking at the system that he played in, they did not set him up for success. And their system worked. Like, they were the best defense in the conference. Um but like in terms of individual production, Iowa State did not set Will McDonald up for success because he was playing four eye a lot. He was playing five technique a lot. Like it was a whole bunch of three man rushes, and you know we're dropping eight. It was it was a very Big Twelve anti spread passing game type defense. 
And again, it totally worked for them, but I just think you need to take that into account when evaluating uh, Will McDonald because in the very few real pass rush reps that he got, you know, where he's lined up wider than like a yard outside the offensive tackle, he was very effective. His burst is phenomenal. He's probably the bendiest edge rusher in this entire class. Like he's got more bend and flexibility than, you know, even Will Anderson, who's going to go in the top five. Um, you know, the length is there. Um, the pass rush arsenal, I would say, like if you look at all the senior bowl reps, again, where he's getting one-on-ones and he's throwing spin moves and he's throwing cross chops, like he knows how to rush the passer. He just didn't get a chance to do it. And so I see this very much um, as like an accelerated Daniil Hunter type situation where Daniil Hunter coming out of LSU, same thing. Like they played him at four eye, they played him at five technique, and then all of a sudden he goes to the NFL and he gets to play like true edge and put those tools to work. And he became one of the best pass rushers in the entire league. I really think there's a similar trajectory coming here for Will McDonald. He might go in the top 20 to 25 picks. This is a very deep edge class, and people's grades are all over the place. Like Some people might have Nolan Smith higher. Some people might have B.J. Ojolari higher. Some people um, you know, might have some of like the hybrid 270-290-pound you know, guys higher uh, and just say, we'll play them at like a six. It, this edge class can shake out in a whole bunch of different ways, so I'm not entirely sure how high he's going to go. But to me, he should be a first-rounder just looking at potential, looking at the tools, looking at the pass rush arsenal and completely throwing out the math and the analytics on it. Like if you're just looking at the tape, he is a first round player all day, every day. And I really hope he goes to a spot that's going to use him to his potential because if he's just played as a pure edge, he could legitimately be like defensive rookie of the year. Like legitimately he has that kind of talent and I hope he goes somewhere that uses him like that. He's one of the biggest enigmas in this class, and it is because of usage, not because of his physical skills. We're going to see that. We're recording this pre-combine. We're going to see that when he does his combine drills. He has all the tools he needs to be a top-flight edge. I'm going to throw out a name that I liked last year, and it's Yomiya Uazurike, who was his oh, teammate yeah. at Iowa State who was 6'6", and almost 340 at times at Iowa State. Loved that guy. They used McDonald in the same role. Yeah. Like, a lot this year at Iowa State. 6'6", 325, 340, whatever. Will McDonald. <laughs> Not the same guy, but they used him in the exact same role in the same defense. That's odd. And... It is difficult. It makes his projection challenging because you see all the skills and you go, oh, man, in the very few times where he got clear, he got out to a 7 or an 8 or a 9 and got to go after it. Whoa, look at those rushes. Those are really impressive. And you're going to see more of that as he goes through the process because that's how the NFL sees him. And I'm going to throw out another name of a guy I really like, and some people might think, oh, that's not a very high ceiling, but he had a great year, so Uchenna Nwosu. Yeah, I could Coming see that. Coming out of USC. Yeah. Right? He was used in different ways. A lot of times they slid him in, not as far as they slid McDonald in, but he he didn't get a chance to like light his hair on fire and just rush off the edge. And it really wasn't until he got to the Seahawks this year where he got a lot of chances to do that. And sure enough, ends up being team leader in sacks and having a great year. 
it might take McDonald a couple of years to get to a level of production that's not five or six sacks. And people say, well, five or six sacks for a top edge rusher, that's terrible. If you look at the stats in the league, very few guys crack 10 sacks. League-wide. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter position. A lot of guys have six, seven, eight, nine sacks, and that's a good year for a productive edge rusher. McDonald will probably get there. He might have six his first year as a rotational guy as he's figuring it out. He might have five, right? And then he might have seven. And that third year, he might have nine or 11 or 12 if somebody really understands how he is and he grows into that role. He gets his chances. He grows into that body, grows into the NFL system. He has that kind of potential. Um, let me see how many people actually cracked 10 sacks this year. And keep in mind, this is a 17-game season, so it's going to be more than last year. Um, looks like in total, we had 19 players at all positions, right? This is edge. This is linebacker. This is defensive interior. 19 guys out of how many players in the front seven across the entire league 32 times seven so i don't know what is that like 250 players i'm just gonna say it's 19 guys out of 32 teams yeah right not even two-thirds just over two-thirds of the league had one guy that cracked 10 sacks so a whole bunch of guys a whole bunch of teams didn't have anybody that cracked 10 sacks it's not as common as people think people have this imaginary cap of 10 sacks being like the dividing line between a good rusher and a bad one a lot of good rushers have seven eight nine it's about pressures we tell you that all the time and sacks are fickle sometimes you get them sometimes they spin away into another guy and you caused it but the other guy gets the stat so you know i can see mcdonald coming in learning his quote-unquote new role or the role that he gets released into, which is his true role, I think, and then really starting to blossom um, a little bit like Highsmith in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, I just looked it up, and uh, because there are some teams with multiple 10-plus sack guys, Philly had four of them. Uh, <laughs> there was actually only 13 teams that had a single player with 10-plus sacks, so it's pretty freaking rare <laughs> if you if you can get yourself one of them you're, you're you're doing all right as a gm uh who is your second gem on your spot i'm gonna go with ivan pace jr the inside linebacker from cincinnati and uh last year somewhere around this particular episode or maybe it was the preseason episode we we coined the term linebacker things and ivan pace jr does more linebackery things than anybody else in this class he is a ball of energy. He is instinctive. He hits like a ton of bricks. You will not miss being hit by Ivan Pace Jr. He will ensure it. He likes to make sure people know that he hit them. Um, and that's not hard for them to figure out after it happens. But agile, mobile, hostile, he checks all three boxes. That's a classic linebacker checklist. Um, he's also the fastest linebacker in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, 20.58 miles an hour from the linebacker spot. So a lot of people mm -hmm. say, oh, well, he can hit, he can rush. Oh, can he cover? Yeah, he absolutely can. He's a ridiculous athlete and an amazing blitzer. If there's one thing that sets him apart, I love his overall body of play, his overall skill set, what he's able to do. But if there's one thing that makes him ridiculous and, and landed him on this list, he is an amazing blitzer. Yeah. His twitch 
to get by blockers happens in a flash. To me, the only thing I can compare it to is when somebody's cheating in Madden. <laughs> if somebody did what Ivan Pace does to blockers to you when you were playing Madden, you would say, hacker. No way. He just way. slips off people, yeah. He, just buy them, right? Guys that are going to be professional athletes. Everybody at the Senior Bowl is a top flight NFL football player. And he embarrassed all of them. He just danced by them and, the, like, bounced over the quarterback dummy. He was having a great time. Nobody could stop him. Nobody could hardly even touch him. And you combine that with impact, eyes, reaction, instincts, crazy top-end speed. Like, Ivan Pace is super fun to watch. He is really impactful as a football player. Leads to a lot of big plays, forced fumbles, um, people uh, short-arming balls. They don't want to go near him. He's that guy. He's he's like that dog in the neighborhood where you just need to know where he is at all times or else you're going to get bit. Um, that's Ivan Pace Jr. I love his game. I love watching him, and he's one of my gems for all of those reasons. I I have a complicated evaluation of him because I'm a little bit lower on him as a cover prospect than you are, not because he's not fast. He's really fucking fast. He's going to run 4-4 probably, um, but he is pretty short. You know, I, the whole 6-0-235, I'm like, is he six foot though? Like, is he really six? Like, he's probably like 5'10", 5'11". So he's in that kind of Malcolm Rodriguez territory, who was another one of our favorites last year who did a lot of very similar things, like going forward, does all the linebackery things, the tackle for loss, the blitzes, all that kind of stuff. But just like Malcolm Rodriguez, you know, if he's running the seam against a big body tight end or a 6'3", 6'4", receiver, I don't necessarily think he has the length to do much about that. That being said, if it's third and eight, and you're not blitzing Ivan Pace, you're using him wrong anyway. Like, I wouldn't use him as a cover linebacker because he's so damn good at rushing the passer. I would use him like a Kyle Van Noy type, where it's like, let's put him on the edge. Let's put him in the A-gap. Let's watch him just go absolutely beat the hell out of some running back in pass pro. So I, I do have some concerns about him in coverage, but I also don't think it matters because I wouldn't be using him that way anyway. Like, he is just a straight-up missile and on first and second down, he's going to get tackles for loss. And on third down, he's going to get sacks. And to me, that's good enough. If I really want to cover somebody on third down, I'll draft uh, uh, like J.L. Skinner, you know, like a 6'4 safety with cover skills. Like, I'll, I'll let him handle that. I'll let Ivan go get the quarterback because he's really, really good at that. Yeah, if I had to pick one guy out of the linebacking class to go kick somebody's ass, probably him <laughs> he'd be he'd be in my top five real easily like without further study i'd be like well give me pace and i'll find some other guys uh my number two gem is also in this linebacker class and he's i don't want to say the polar opposite of ivan pace but it, he does uh a, he has a much different skill set because he is a really, really great cover linebacker, and that's Dayon Henley from Washington State. He's a former DB slash former receiver and former quarterback and former returner. Uh, so his feet and his hips are just incredible for a linebacker. Um, again, super fast. He's got like legit 4-4 speed. And because he is, uh, you know, he has so much experience on offense, both playing receiver and quarterback. I think he was like a four-star uh, quarterback coming out uh, of high school. Um, 
he does have a really good understanding of coverage uh, of coverages and like matching, you know, route distribution from different coverages and, and has a really great understanding of like match rules, right? And just being in the right spot at the right time and knowing what a quarterback is going to be looking at. And so I know this is a very lofty comparison, but he's one of the only, if not the only linebacker in this class that from a coverage perspective, you can do things with him that say the 49ers did with Fred Warner that almost no other team can do, right? Like the 49ers played more cover two in the third and fourth quarters than anybody else because they had Fred Warner in the middle of the field matching up on slot receivers and shutting them down. Like you can do that with Dayon Henley. And is he as good against the run as Fred? No, because Fred's like a complete guy and a Hall of Fame talent and all that kind of stuff. But it doesn't mean that he can't get there. And if he gets to the same uh, the same level, I would say, is like a first and second down defender as Ivan Pace, ironically enough, you know, who's just, a, again, a fucking missile coming downhill. If he gets to that level, plus the coverage stuff, he's going to be the best linebacker in this class. I really believe that. Um, and so I think that in terms of potential, it's sky high. And that's not to say that he's not good against the run. Like he does play the run well and he does blitz well. He's just not quite Ivan Pace there yet. Um, but I think that in terms of his overall ceiling, he could truly end up being one of the best defensive players to come out of this class at any position. It's going to take the right coach. It's going to take the right system to kind of, you know, maximize what he does well. But that potential is there. For me personally, I would love to see him go to D'Amico Ryans and the Texans because, I mean, D'Amico already did it with Fred, right? Not that Fred wasn't like a great player coming out, but like Fred went in the third round. Like nobody really saw that coming from Fred Warner, but the 49ers coached him and molded him and got him to be where he is today. You put him with D'Amico Ryans, Who's to say that he can't do a similar thing with Dayon Henley? Like, the athletic profile is there. The potential is there. I would love to see them uh, get that out of him because I think it's possible. He's a smart player like D'Amico was, and I think that'd be a great match because of that. When you watch Wazoo tape, Henley is everywhere. Mm -hmm. He is ubiquitous, and it's that combination of physical skill to get him there but mental skill to understand roles within offense, anticipate Oh, they're aligned like this. We didn't we haven't had a chance to sit with him, but if we did, I guarantee that's how that interview would go. Right? He'd be like, "Nope, I saw this, so I was thinking this, so I was already moving before the snap." So he's mentally quick and then he's physically quick on top of that. He has legitimate speed, used to play receiver like you said, and the end result is as you're watching the tape, you're like, "Damn, again, like how many second quarter, how many tackles does he have? 11. Wow." okay, that's a half. That's ridiculous. <laughs> but it goes game after game. And it's because he's fusing those things together. So I'm with you. Not a guy I want going up against a power gap scheme and trying to control his gap against a pulling guard. Not the ideal lineup. Is he terrible at it? No. And he usually uses his quickness again to get around that, still make a play. But he isn't a round type defender on those power run schemes for now. But as the league goes, you need guys that can stay on the field and cover at linebacker. The old two-down thumper thing doesn't exist anymore. It's just a liability. Uh, Henley is going to be able to start very early 
wherever he goes because of that, because he has that versatility to run with most anybody on pass coverage and that mental understanding. He's going to pick up a playbook pretty quickly. That always helps your playing time as a rookie. I'm really excited by his potential. I think almost no one that doesn't watch Pac-12 football was talking about him before the Senior Bowl. Few people started to pick up on it at the Senior Bowl. Hey, man, this guy had some really good days. People are now doing that thing, going back to the tape and going, oh, wait a minute, look at it. Look at him versus Oregon. Look at him versus USC. Look at him versus, oh, yeah, like, damn, he had a lot of good games. Very, very good player. Great ceiling. If he doesn't go to the Texans, the place, ironically, that I want him to go to most is the Colts. Because if there's one team besides the 49ers that has a really incredible track record of developing linebackers, it's the Colts, like Shaq Leonard, Bobby Okereke, EJ Speed, Sire Fra- Like They've got more linebackers than anybody, 49ers included. So I would trust that staff to turn him into a monster, and the Colts can just keep recycling linebackers and letting their guys walk, and they get comp picks back. But like that franchise is so damn good at developing like high upside linebackers, I would, especially ones of like that profile, like the 230, 235-pounders. Like... He's he's perfect for them. I don't think they're going to take him because they need other stuff. But like, man, <laughs> if I was his agent, I'd want him to go there for sure. Uh, who is your third gem on your list? Uh, we're gonna get a we're gonna get a theme going on EJ's defensive list here, and it's Devin Witherspoon, the cornerback from Illinois. And I do say cornerback. Uh, I know you'd mentioned earlier you thought he might play very well at safety, and I don't disagree with that assessment, but if a guy can play outside corner at the level that Devin Witherspoon can play outside corner, he plays outside corner in my system. He is a violent defensive back. This is the theme. Brian Branch will hit. Ivan Pace will hit. Devin Witherspoon will absolutely hit. I saw that Mina Kimes just made it to his tape uh, yesterday or the day before. She said, I'm about two games in and this has happened five times and it's him blitzing and destroying a guy that either just got the handoff or didn't get the handoff off um on top of all that violence and explosion uh he'll let you know about it he is a classic cornerback in that um in that phase of his game he likes to talk (laughs) um and uh one of the announcers said something on tape that i thought was really interesting they said some people when they're talking like that it gets them out of their game you know they they get into their own head and they start worrying too much about trash talking they said with Devin it gets him into his game like this Mm -hmm. is where his groove exists this is his flow state so when he's when he's chippy when he's yapping and blowing people up he's right where he needs to be top flight cover skills that makes an extremely rare combo we will see physical corners who will set the edge blitz blow people up but they cannot mirror hip to hip like Devin Weatherspoon can down the field uh, going to test extremely well in Indianapolis can mirror down the field with almost anyone in this DB class and almost anyone in this receiver class as mm-hmm. well. Uses the boundary extremely well, uses it like another wall that he can run people into, which is really the game he likes to play. Um, he is approaching a lockdown skill set. He is not to the level of a, of a sauce gardener. And I don't know that there anybody in this class that is, we're, we're going to talk about one that's close. Yeah. Uh, but he is approaching that, and when you combine it with that disposition, the ability to affect the game from the corner position with physicality, which is rare and rare at his level, Devin Witherspoon was an absolute – I was halfway through the first game, and I was like, 
I'm pretty sure he's going to be one of my five. I don't know that I'm going to find this combination in anybody else. I'll give him a chance, and I did. I didn't make the list until I was through all the corners, but I was like, nope, that guy's a gem. You know, the cover skills combined with the hitting prowess is why I want him at safety, and it's it has nothing to do with can he play outside corner. Obviously, he can. He'd be really good at it. But I see it as a, a kind of similar thing to when Javon Holland was coming out, but better. And Holland, you know, hit the NFL and was like immediately one of the best safeties in the league. And he's been one of the best safeties in the league from the jump, like ever since then. I think Witherspoon could be even better. And we talked about the importance of nickel when going over Brian Branch of like, hey, you need to have cover skills and you need to be able to tackle. You need to be able to play, play the run. You need to blow up screens. You need to be a blitzer that can actually finish and like, get a quarterback on the ground, uh, especially these big ones. You know, Pat Mahomes is like 235, 240. Herbert's like 240. Like, you got to be able to get these guys on the ground, uh, and Witherspoon can do that. And so I kind of I, I kind of want him as that hybrid safety nickel role because he can and because finding that skill set is so hard. Um, and, you know, you look at Javon Holland in Oregon, he played outside corner. He played nickel. He played he played everywhere. Um and so he could have played anywhere in the NFL, but they put him specifically at safety because of that versatility and because of that fully rounded skill set of a DB that can freaking tackle and cover. That's why I want him at that spot. It's not because I don't value his outside corner skills. It's because I think finding somebody who, if you're playing quarters and it becomes man coverage down the field, like, you you got to match that deep post one-on-one. You have no help. You got to do it. He can do that. Um, you know, you look at, at Buddha playing weak safety. It's like, buddy, you're too high. You got to come down. Like, B-gap's yours, dude. Like, you're in the fit. Let's go. Buckle up. He can do that. You put him at nickel, and it's like, hey, man, you got a, a big slot who's 6'4", 225, blocking you on this on this flare screen. Like, you got you to gotta beat him and go make the tackle. He can do that. And so I think that that skill set at safety is is harder to find in some ways than a premier, you know, beat him up outside corner. Um, not that, like, outside corner is not valuable. Obviously, it is. Like, Sauce Gardner changed the Jets' defense. But I feel like he's a Pro Bowl corner and an all-pro safety. And if I have the choice between Pro Bowl and all-pro, I want the all-pro. He's going to be on the gems list either way. He's a great player either way. But I legitimately think he could be one of like the five or six best safeties in the entire NFL. And I, I would love for him to play that spot. <laughs> yeah, he's a great player. He's he's amazingly fun to watch. He's one of those guys that you start out and early in the process uh, because of the level we watch college football at and because so many guys move around and change numbers and everything else, you're kind of like, which guy is he? It takes like two plays to go. Oh, that's Witherspoon. Yeah, you don't even need to look for. A I, I don't. I don't care what number he is. I'm going to be able to tell what guy that is every single down. That's Devin Witherspoon. Uh, my number three on the gems list is the other top corner that everybody always talks about, and that's Christian Gonzalez, who um, I will have going probably a little bit later than Witherspoon because he's not as versatile and Witherspoon can can do everything that Gonzalez can do outside and also play safety. I don't necessarily think that Gonzalez is somebody who I would put, you know, inside in the shit, you know, as a safe. Like, I, I don't necessarily see that level of physicality from him. 
But as a pure cover corner outside, if we're just looking at that narrow slice of the pie, he might be even better than Witherspoon um, in terms of just pure man cover skills. And again, we're talking about two guys that are Pro Bowl caliber. But if I just need, like, who's my outside corner because I already got a kick-ass nickel and I already got safeties, I need an outside corner, Christian Gonzalez is the one that I want um, because of his ability to just completely erase somebody, you know, who's lined up at the numbers or wider. There was an interesting thing that I saw from him and kind of a, a progression throughout the season. You look at the Georgia game early on, um, he gave up a fade for a touchdown and it's because he didn't play it aggressively enough. Like his timing in terms of how he turned his head and how he got his arm in there um, and, you know, played the ball chest to chest. Like he, he just, he didn't, he didn't get after it aggressively enough. And then all of a sudden you look at all the subsequent games after that, I went through every single one, like every single contested target, every single back shoulder fade after that, he was a fucking junkyard dog on those. Like he, he was never going to allow that ball again. Like he was in your chest. He was, I mean, just basically as a bouncer throwing you out the club (laughs) to the sideline. Like he was on you. The arm was up there. He was raking through. He was battling all the way to the ground. Like he like mid season became incredibly aggressive on back shoulder fades. And that was kind of like the one thing that was missing was, you know, it's nice to play everything over the top and stop the deep ball, but what are you going to do when they throw against your leverage? Like, you still got to be able to win on those in the NFL. And he proved he could do that. And again, that was like the one missing piece because all the short stuff, you know, he's leveraged so far inside and he's so long uh, and he's so technically refined and his feet are so good and his hips are so good. Like, you're not going to win inside on him. The only way you could really beat him was those back shoulder fades. And so once he took those away, you got nothing else. <laughs> you, you really got nothing else. And so even though he's not quite Sauce Gardner because nobody is, as a pure cover corner, he's not that far off. Like, I think he is going to be a top 12 to 14 pick pretty easily. Um, he's he's tall. He's long. He's fast. He's fluid. He's got technical refinement. He's got everything you want as a corner. Um, the only reason he's going to go probably behind Witherspoon is because he's not like the type of hitter and tackler and you know he doesn't do the linebackery things that Witherspoon does as a DB right and so he's not quite that but like pure cover skills Christian Gonzalez is the dude man comes down to flavor and the NFL team that makes that decision of where he goes they might pick him above Witherspoon because they might prefer that or like you said based on the makeup of their roster they might decide no we need an outside guy that is that is pure coverage and he fits our system I could see Gonzalez going ahead of Witherspoon for that reason not just player player head-to-head but situation and landing spot you bring up a really good point about him still learning as a football player and all college football players probably should be learning we might see that trend tail off as people spend nine years there with nil but um christian gonzalez is not that guy he is still learning as a football player he is still developing and i'm going to tell you something that if you don't know it is going to be like an unlock and you're going to be like oh that makes a ton of sense Hmm. christian gonzalez's dad played on the Colombian national basketball team Oh, yeah, that does make a lot of sense. <laughs> because, I mean, when you're playing those back shoulder fades, like, it's straight up like, you're posting up, dude. 
like, all of a sudden you go, oh, when you look at him move on the field, it reminds me a little bit of Drake London, right? Basketball background. He yeah, moves yeah. like a basketball player on the football field. And you will see him do things in coverage that are a bit unorthodox if you're one of those kids that's been playing football since you were six or seven years old and you've been through all the seven-on-seven seven camps and elite travel and everything else, you're, you're playing it in a certain way. There's a certain way that players that have played like that come up like that play. He doesn't play like that. It's much more artistic and organic, and you can see the length and the sort of fluidity and athleticism, and then you go, oh, his dad was basically a professional basketball player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. That explains a lot of them. It turns out his siblings, both his sisters are very high end athletes as well. Runs in the family. Um, He has what you want in terms of makeup for a guy that can go out and blanket just about anybody. And he's adding things like aggressiveness. He's adding things like technique not to get beat on certain throws. Still Mm -hmm. learning as a football player and as a as an evaluator, that's exciting to me about drafting a guy who is not topped out, who still has room to grow and get better with all those tools, and he has a a bevy of tools. Really good hands. Again, basketball player trait. Had a great pick versus OSU. Deceptive speed. Bit of a long strider, longer legs, but he can move. Plays special teams. It's my favorite thing about Christian Gonzalez. It's a lot of, you know, top-end college talent. Depends on the program. Sometimes they pack them all into special teams. Sometimes none of their starters play special teams. Christian Gonzalez plays special teams, and he plays them with abandon. Um, Just speaks to the player, the attitude, the willingness to contribute and learn. Um, Love, love, love Christian Gonzalez as a player. I think the latest he goes is probably the Steelers at like, I think it's like 17 or something like that. If he gets past the Steelers, I'd be kind of stunned a, because they need a man cover corner outside. Like they're, they're fine at safety, but like, yeah, I mean, he could go to new England at 14. If they're deciding to again, continue that tradition of man cover corners that they love so much. And they don't want to give Mac Jones weapons because they hate him. Like I could see them, you know, going 14 (laughs) Christian Gonzalez, the Eagles. Cause why not? at 10 like you know their, their corners are on the older side like let's go get a young gun who's going to be a, a a cornerstone of the franchise like you know it's it's very pop you know uh the the panthers if they don't get a quarterback early on because they miss out and they can't put together a trade package like the others like i could see them even doing it just because like you put him with jc horn together and you know they won't score any points but nobody's gonna score on them either so like you know he's gonna go he's gonna go fairly high i don't entirely know where yet but he's gonna go fairly high uh who is your fourth on your five gems list uh it is felix nudk uzama edge rusher from kansas state and i picked him because we'll talk about all the reasons i picked him Um, but I picked him specifically because it was really between him and Tyree Wilson. And look, Mm. folks, you're going to hear about Tyree Wilson from everybody. We'll talk about him eventually, but like Tyree Wilson is going to dominate. He's already high up in that conversation of top edge rusher selected. He's going to be right there behind Will Anderson. After the combine, forget about it. You're going to hear nothing but Tyree Wilson 24-7. You'll hear plenty about him ridiculous player who i love deeply but is going to be easily top half first round player if not top 10 um 
And after the combine, he could be in that top five conversation. Mark my words. So I wanted to talk about somebody you're not going to hear about as much who is equally fun to watch. And for me, that's Andy DK Uzama from Kansas State. Mm -hmm. He is quick. He's powerful. He is efficient and persistent. He is hard to handle as a pass rusher because of all of that. He has a huge reach and strong hands on an earlier episode. I said his rushes look like a lion bringing down prey, and it's true. He has this huge arm swing move with a strong hand, big paw, gets a hold of you, forget it. He will literally knock you down. It looks just like a lioness knocking down a gazelle. Um, (laughs) He wastes very few steps and very little motion getting to the QB, and I love this quality in any rusher. I don't care if it's a linebacker, an edge, a defensive tackle. Like, he takes one less step than everybody else. If there is a line between him and the quarterback, there's no looping. There's no arc. There is, I am coming, and I will get to you just a half tick quicker than you thought I was going to because I didn't take the extra step. Um, Adds in second moves to win later in the down. Teams knew he was coming. He was the top rush threat on his team. It was not a mystery. They doubled him often. He has quality wins against double teams because he'll add a second move late in the down. He will spin off. He will spin into quarterbacks. He will just plat up, split a double team with power and win that way. He has all kinds of stuff, but he too, just like Christian Gonzalez, is still learning. He is not mm-hmm. topped out, and that's probably the most exciting thing. You look at his build. He is a strong, powerful, solid player. He's a great build for the position. He's not done yet. He can do more even than what he's doing with the tools he has. That, to me, all sort of fuses into and the fact that because it's a packed edge class, there's going to be a lot of names. Not one that a lot of people are talking about. Somebody's getting a gem. There was a a sack that he had against Texas Tech that really caught my eye. (laughs) I know the one you're talking about. Where he does like this cross chop move. And, you know, we, we were asking guys at the Shrine Bowl, we were interviewing, whenever they brought up a cross chop move, it was like, are you a jumper? You know, like that Shaq Barrett, like <laughs> you club down and you just clear like four yards of space. And you're, you're literally like jumping around and resetting your path around the edge. Well, he did it. He did a cross chop, packaged it with a jump. But somebody who's his size, which is like 6'4", he's listed at 255. There's no fucking way he's 255. He's like 265 at minimum. Like, he's he's bigger than 255. Somebody his size doing that cross chop with the jump and then getting his hips around, like right when he landed and flipping and, and, and like really like great bend and finishing for the sack, I was like, hold on. Somebody that size doing that move like it's one thing for Shaq Barrett to do. He's like, you know, it's six to two forty five, something like that. Like Shaq Barrett's a smaller, quicker, bendier guy, but like this kid's huge <laughs> and he's power. still doing that move. Like it's it, all power. And he clears like three and a half yards on that jump. I know the one you're nuts. talking about. It's nuts. He does this. And then you see this huge body move sort of just levitate laterally. And when uh-huh. he lands, it's not, oh, I have to gather my feet and gain speed. He literally like pegs off his right leg and goes beeline to the quarterback. Yeah. And it's it's startling, right? You see a guy with that size, that power, and then he does that, and it's that quick and efficient, and you're just like, okay, that's, that's the guy I want to look at. 
And I just think that, you know, you kind of, as a pass rusher, you need to have a fastball and a curveball, right? His fastball is his power because he's just got this overwhelming frame and length. And like you said, he rushes like a lion. Like he, he mauls people. He actually mauls them. But then your curveball is the fact that you can do a cross chop that off that. You can do a ghost move off that. And you have the hips to pull it off. Like, it's not like a Javian Clowney, like, I'm turning like a battleship. I really hope the quarterback drops deep. Like, no, he can bend and flatten and finish. Um, and he's he's a really fascinating prospect because of that. Again, on another one of these Big 12 defenses that didn't give him the most true edge rushing opportunities because it's a lot of three-man rushes. He's playing five technique a lot. Like it wasn't a system that was totally built to feed him production, but man, the opportunities that he got, he was really damn good. And he's another one of these guys in this edge class where I was talking like, maybe Will McDonald goes top 20, top 25, but this is an edge class that's really deep and people, you know, might be prioritizing other guys. Felix is one of those guys, you know, where it's like, they could both go top 20, 25, and I have no idea which one's going higher because they're both really, really good. Yeah, and even in that system that didn't highlight him, a lot of three-man rushes, and that allowed offenses to double-team him. Like, mm-hmm. a lot, because they knew they needed to. He was obviously the biggest threat on that line. So you'll see, like, straight double-teams, which is guard and tackle. Go get that guy. And he wins against those. Mm-hmm. Like, they knew he was coming. They committed two of their best pass-blocking resources, two of their most powerful pass-blocking resources. He'll split it, he'll spin off of it, and he still gets production, even though the scheme wasn't aligned to really, like you said, force-feed it or deliver it to him. And I love that quality. We mentioned in the last episode this defensive line class was absolutely insane, um, and we're going to keep that rolling with my fourth gem. Yet another defensive lineman. Yet another guy who has inside-outside versatility. That's Deswan Johnson from Toledo. Unfortunately, because every NFL team wanted to interview him a whole bunch, we didn't get a chance to interview him at Shrine Bowl. Um, Just the scheduling conflicts didn't work out in our favor, but I'd rather him go talk to NFL teams because I really want him to get drafted super high. And all the teams loved him. Like He was getting second interview requests. He was killing it in practice. And watching him on tape, it's easy to see why teams are so intrigued by him because, you know, he's a 6'2", 280-pound guy who, you know, lined up at edge. He lined up at 4'i", lined up at 3 technique, and they lined him up at nose a lot too. And he's one of these guys um, who I'm not entirely sure where he's going to play in the NFL. Like, my answer is yes. Because he can do all those different things. Like, you know, will he be a a nose or a two-eye in the NFL? Probably not. Like, 280-pounders don't survive down there. But the fact that he has experience playing the run and anchoring against double teams as a 280-pounder makes me think that he could play three technique. Makes me think he could, you know, play four-eye, like a a Morgan Fox-ish type deal here. Um, You know, it makes me think that he can be used as, like, a six technique or like a true defensive end, like a big edge setting defensive end that just beats up on tight ends all day. And then on passing downs, you kick him into three technique and say, go hunt. Like he reminds me, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, like a sawed off Justin Tuck, not in terms of frame. Cause Tuck was like six, five to 70 or whatever he was. But like in terms of role, I see that potential role for him. Not every defense uses their guys like that. So not every team will, will, you know, be prioritizing him, 
but for the teams that that do you know play four down fronts with like a big edge setting defensive end on early downs and then kick them inside to like a NASCAR type package on passing downs, they will prioritize Deswan Johnson because he's he's literally that like that is what he does. Seattle would love him. New England would love him. Um, Kansas City would probably love him to be honest. Like you know because they like to have these big uh, you know big physical presences uh, presences at end on early downs and then you know when it comes to comes time to rush the passer they'll just line people up all over the fucking place they'll put chris jones at edge just because they can so like there are teams out there that would value him and i think if he goes to the right team that would use him in that style he would be a phenomenal get somewhere like early early day three like Maybe late, late, late in the third round, like in the comp pick territory at the absolute earliest, because again, he is a tweener, but like early day three, fourth, fifth round, he's going to go somewhere there and probably end up being um, a highly productive player for the value, similar to like how uh, Charles Omenahu went in the fifth round for the Texans and ended up being a really good player with a similar skill set. So I love Deswan Johnson. He's one of the best value defensive linemen, um, not not defensive end, not defensive tackle, just defensive linemen in this class, and I really can't wait to see where he goes. I love his inclusion on this list for a few reasons. Uh, one is because his tape's super fun. Two is one of my favorite conversations every year is when we get together for an all-star game, when we actually end up at the house and we like throw all our crap in our rooms, one of the first things we do is like pull out our laptops and we're like, who you got mm-hmm. like who, who are your two or three guys that like you can't wait to see that you're just excited about that i might like we're just thirsty to figure out what somebody might have found that we haven't seen yet and deswan i said you gotta watch this kid from toledo i said i you know i haven't dug in but you gotta watch this guy from toledo i watched him last night and like he's here and we got to talk to him and we did get to talk to him. We didn't get to talk to him on camera. We didn't get to sit down and have a formal interview with him. But because we were trying to arrange a sit down with him, we got to talk to him two or three times. Um, unfortunately, it didn't work out, but we did get to interact with him. He's a great, dude. Um, mm-hmm. Really enjoy him as a, as a person. Obviously, his work on the field speaks for itself. And then my third favorite reason is that we get to share it with all of you. Like, this is not a name that's shooting up charts. A lot of people, this might be the first time you've ever heard Deswan Johnson's name. That's fine. We love bringing you those guys that we're excited about, that we believe in, that down the road, like in who people are going to be like, why didn't more people talk about him? We're going to be like, bootleg listeners knew. And Mm -hmm. that is a great joy for me in in this work. So for those three reasons, I love his inclusion on this list. Love the tape. The tape speaks for itself. The person, really, really cool, and the ability to bring you something new is is always fun. I don't think he got a combine invite um, because the combine decided not. they decided to invite fifty fucking receivers this year, literally fifty, and left a lot of defensive linemen out in the cold and a lot of guards out in the cold that should have been there. So uh, we are going to be patiently waiting for his pro day times, which is like March twenty something um yeah. all the all the ohio schools are kind of like in the same week ohio state cincinnati toledo so we're waiting patiently to see what his numbers are coming out of that but they're probably going to be pretty damn good i'd be willing to bet that they're really really good so uh toledo pro day mark your calendars folks he's he's going to be a special one uh all right ej who is your last gem on your group of five gotta go with another linebacker and that's odd not one of the the strong, super strong position groups, but 
oddly strong and, and just sort of overshadowed by cornerback, edge, running back, some of the really, really strong position groups. There's a lot of depth at inside linebacker. The fact that two of them ended up on this list is one indication of that, but going with Drew Sanders, inside linebacker, Arkansas. Alabama fans will remember Drew Sanders as a not very successful or productive edge at Alabama. That's where he played. He ends up transferring to Arkansas, finding his role as an inside linebacker, as truly a middle linebacker, and kaboom. Mm-hmm. There's an explosion of production. There's an explosion of athleticism on the tape. Really just a guy and his role sort of fusing together and going, oh, this is what's possible. He is tall for a middle linebacker. He is long. He is sudden. Goodness, is he sudden. You can see why Alabama tried to play him at edge. His twitch, his get off, his burst to get through the line. Um, he gets places in a hurry, and he brings just brute hitting force with him because he is a big dude. He knows how to finish. He brought all that training from edge with him. Still learning how to play linebacker, and that's the scary part. You look at all the production he had in his full year of playing inside linebacker at Arkansas, all the impact, all the massive plays he made, all the playmaking ability for even some plays he missed where you're like, holy cow, he shouldn't have even been in the frame. He's still learning as a linebacker. Again, that level, that ceiling, he is an incredibly high ceiling player, even with the level he's playing at, which is ridiculously high. I've seen folks whose work I really respect say that he's tickling the first round. Lance Zerline has him as first-round talent. Mm-hmm. I am fully on board with that. Do I think he'll get drafted in the first round? No, that's a different conversation. Does his level of talent and impact on the game warrant him being considered at the end of the first round when things get mushy and teams are trading up and you know people are starting to look at running backs and whatever in terms of value and impact and just picking a solid player? And the best teams do that, right? The best teams are at the bottom of the draft. They finished you know, top in the season, and we see those front offices year after year, the Baltimores for a long time, the New Englands. Uh, Kansas City now is in that driver's seat, the Bills, where they're picking late, and you have to pick quality. You're not going to necessarily get the apple of your eye, but you have to get a good football player in the first round, and if you don't, it will add up. Somebody's going to go, you know, (laughs) Drew Sanders is there, and He's a better football player. Like He's maybe not the highest need, but the chances he's going to be bad, given all the attributes and the production he's put up, even in a limited window, are pretty low. And his ceiling is lofty. Not going to name names because then people are going to say, oh, you think he's blank. No, I'm not making comps here. I'm saying he could be one of the top interior linebackers in the league within just a few years, given everything he brings to the table and to me that's absolutely worth a tail end of the first round pick in terms of uh likely destinations in the first round one of the ones that i think is kind of flying under the radar and again it depends on what happens in free agency because we don't even know if they're gonna have this pick wink wink nudge nudge um and that's the giants at 26 because you Hmm. look at uh their free agency situation i mean Jared Davis, free agent. Jalen Smith, free agent. Landon Collins, free agent. Like the only linebackers that they have, le- inside linebackers, I should say, that they have left on the roster are Micah McFadden, Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown, and Darian Beavers. And boy, do they have a type because that's a lot of dudes that can rush the passer. <laughs> um, but I think that Drew Sanders has even more potential than than all those guys. Well, McFadden's 
McFadden's got a lot of potential, but like Sanders is going to be a top 50 pick for a reason. McFadden went in the fifth round for a reason. Um, maybe that's just me because I love Mike McFadden last year, but like Drew Sanders is in that mold, right? Of like, you just, you line him up and you say, go forward, go hunt, like go rush the passer, go, go get tackles for loss. You're six five two forty. Like you can take on a guard and stack and shit and do all that kind of stuff. Um, I see him as a bigger version. Like if we're just talking about guys in this class, a bigger version of Ivan Pace, because he can do all the Ivan Pace stuff, but he is bigger. Um, in terms of comparing him to pass players, I'd say he's very similar to Anthony Barr, who is a similar size. Again, you know, 6'5", 240, edge experience, great pass rusher, put him at inside linebacker, made him play Mike, but like an aggressive downhill, get after it type Mike linebacker. Um, those are kind of guys that he reminds me of. And it's guys that the Giants, just looking at who's on their roster, seem to like, you know, big, aggressive um you know, pass rushing inside linebackers, like that's an aggressive defense. They send linebackers constantly on all these exotic pressures. Like they'll call zero for the hell of it just because they can. He fits there. He really does. I don't know if they're going to have the 26th pick because, again, I think they're, they could potentially be moving that, and we'll see. Um, I think that the Giants' offseason might end up being a little bit wild and crazy. Um, but if they retain that pick, if they don't do any wild and crazy moves, yeah, he's somebody who I could I could slide in at 26 and feel pretty good about it. Yeah, I've got a place I'd love him to go that he's never going to go. Where? Baltimore. Oh, I mean, he's a he plays like a Raven, but... Yep. You know, if he, they if if they keep Lamar and they don't draft him another weapon, like and it's and it's, it's not even that. They they just <laughs> traded for Roquan and gave him his full bag. Yeah. Like it, it it it's not a need and it doesn't make any financial sense and that that front office does operate with a pretty decent sense of fiscal sense. So they're not going to do it just in terms of stacking assets. But when I look at him, I see guys like Tyus Bowser. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I'm like that's their guy. Like he could play just like that and be just as effective, if not more and sooner. So he's again, place I would love for him to go that he's not going to go, but Oh geez. Think about that. Um, just in a fantasy world. I, I love the fit, but let's wrap this up. Who is your last gem? Uh, yet another defensive lineman. Surprise, surprise. I know. And that's Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. Um, did not start a single game at Iowa last year, but that's mainly just because Iowa, they're, they're Iowa. They prioritize seniors and Van Ness was the best player on that defense. Like he, he ended up getting more snaps than all the other edges, but he was a rotational guy and they had, you know, three or four of them that they would rotate in. But Van Ness was by far the best one. He just didn't get starts because he was the young gun and they, they prioritize the older guys. It's just how they do things there. It's not how it's going to work in the NFL. Because the NFL, like, if you're the best player, you're on the field, bud. <laughs> and Van Ness probably will be uh, one of the best players on the field in pretty short order because his talent is just insane. Like, it is off the freaking charts. He's, you know, 6'5", uh, 275. He's another one of these guys where he could play inside or outside, but I, I really want him kind of as a pure edge rusher because when he gets a warning track to work with, like, he gets a runway where he can build up speed and then he gets into a tackle's chest, they're going backwards. There's no way around it. Like they are going backwards. His power is just incredible. Um, and also the fact that, you know, he has hip fluidity that is uncanny for a guy's guy, his size. 
he has bursts, he has bend, he has all that kind of stuff. He's still a puppy. He's still learning. I think he was a redshirt sophomore, if I recall correctly. It's true. Like he's young. Like he was he was a rotational piece for them because he is young and he is learning. But he was by far the most talented player on that defense. And they, they were the best defense in the country. Like, again, I don't want to bash them too hard for saying, like, how could you not start Lucas Van Ness? Like, they were the best defense in the country. They knew what they were doing. But at the same time, selfishly, from just an NFL talent evaluation standpoint, <laughs> I'm like, more snaps. Dude, you had a Ferrari in the garage. What are we doing here? Like, he's he's a top 10 talent in the NFL draft, and he was coming off the bench. Um but he's just, he's incredible. He really is. Uh, athletically, I think he's going to blow away the combine. Again, we're recording this before the combine, but really keep an eye on Lucas Van Ness because he has everything that you want from a, you know, big body, uh, you know, just gargantuan edge rusher with that 6'5 frame and the power and the speed. Like, I, I, he's not Miles Garrett, but he's built like Miles Garrett. And I think that uh, he has athletic tools that could be close to Miles Garrett. And if he just learns to play like Miles Garrett, you know, if he develops the Arsenal pass rush moves like Miles does, like he could be pretty darn close to being that productive. Like he is that talented. Yeah, he's a brawler. Lucas Van Ness is a brawler. And I too want him playing outside. I want him playing half a man. And to, mm-hmm. to those that don't know, that means playing outside the tackle, basically attacking the outside of the tackle. And what he'll do is attack the middle of the tackle, and that's fine. But I want him singled up as much as possible because I haven't seen anybody like you that can really withstand that. Now, we're talking about college tackles, and he is moving up to the pros, but the regularity and the velocity that he moves college tackles with is rare. He mm-hmm. hits them and just massacres them, and some really good ones. He's got some pass rush, pass rush reps, easy for me to say, <laughs> uh, versus Peter Skaronsky, who was yep. one of the top tackles, Northwestern, and just blew him the hell up. Like, And Skaronsky is a really good tackle who is technically refined and anchors very, very well. Ness Didn't just, matter. Van Ness just <laughs> messed him up, like, and that's literally the way he plays is breaking eggs, right? It's not about hand placement. It's not about counter moves. It's not about where he's got his hips or his feet. It's like, hey, I'm bigger and stronger than you, and I can push you back, and I'm going to watch. Okay, sweet. I did it. Guess what I'm going to do next time? Yep, you already know. So you're adjusting. Doesn't matter. I'm going to do the same thing. You, It's like the fastball pitcher who knows he's got 101 in the in the gun, and he is just going to let it go. And he's yeah. going to stare you down. He just he doesn't mind. He's like, he'll tell the catcher, go ahead, show him. This this, this, this one. Like, yeah. yeah. He's, he's Mariano Rivera, man. Like, you he's knew it's coming. Fast, yeah. He calling <laughs> for a fastball? I'm going to come right down the middle of you, and I'm going to push you over. Watch. I'll do it again. And there is a lot more to develop in his game it is a very single lane right now he has tools that he doesn't even know how to use yet i love the puppy analogy not because i don't think he's effective he's a very big puppy and he's effective as he is like we talk about well you know one trick pony the tricks better trick better be pretty good his trick is great (laughs) like i haven't seen anybody who can stop his trick if he develops other tricks it's terrifying now, that's a big if. He has to land in the right spot, as do all draft prospects. But 
the tools are there to do other things beside that. He doesn't very often right now because he doesn't need to. Uh, there's one coach that I really want him to go to, and it, they do not have a pick high enough for it. But God, <laughs> it's just it's just the dream. Um, San Francisco 49ers, the Chris Kasurik. Like, Chris Kasurik would make him unbelievably frightening. And, you know, speaking of the 49ers, there was an interesting comp that somebody threw out. I can't remember who it was. Um, and they said, you throw 15 pounds on him and you make him 290 and he's Justin Smith. And I was like, oh. ooh. I yeah. mean, maybe, because Justin Smith's like one of the best defensive linemen ever. So, like, it's it's a it's a lofty comparison. But, like, in terms of play style, just the overwhelming power. You're like, well, I mean, if anybody could get there, it's it's probably him. You know, Just, like, Justin it, Smith is one of my least favorite comps for anyone ever. It's so unrealistic. <laughs> well, because it's so different beginning to end. Yeah, people forget, literally forget, because everybody when you say Justin Smith thinks of his tenure with the 49ers and thinks of that dominating player that he became. Mm-hmm. If you say, where was he drafted uh, in terms of where was he drafted in the draft and which team took him? Cincinnati. I can't remember where he was drafted, though. Super duper high, <laughs> right? And he didn't do a lot because Cincinnati was not the Cincinnati we know these days in those days. And he really had a completely different second act. Mm-hmm. That people, so it really becomes which Justin Smith. And any player that's like that, that had a very different arc from their start to their finish, is a tough player to comp to because people say, well, people don't say, but they should say, when? what, Which Justin Smith? So, um, but he is massively talented. I think the 49ers is great. I would also love to see him as a Steelers lineman because I think he has a lot of traits that they could maximize and that again is what we really want to see for all these players i just looked it up and uh something that i really didn't expect justin smith not that this is like a super fair thing justin smith didn't make his first pro bowl until like year eight or nine when he finally went to san francisco which is 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 frightening because i remember in the early 2000s everybody's like it was is just like andrew whitworth right everybody when andrew whitworth was in cincinnati he's like oh he's a top five tackle but like never made a pro bowl there you know and all of a sudden he he moves teams he goes to the rams and everybody's like man andrew whitworth is really fucking good and he wins a ring and you know he's getting hall of fame buzz justin smith the same way it's like never got any publicity in cincinnati still a very good player all of a sudden goes to san francisco five straight pro bowl uh, five straight pro bowl excuse me you know gets hall of fame buzz going to different like completely different player not obviously not different person but in terms of usage and landing spot when we talk about it being important this is a highly drafted player right it was talked about number one overall pick nothing for a long time not like a season or two and then goes to the 49ers transforms becomes the justin smith that everybody talks about so yeah fascinating nfl career arc i did not remember that he was the fourth overall pick yeah, people like, were talking about him as number one that year. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite defensive players ever, and comparing anybody to Justin Smith is problematic. <laughs> it's very lo- It's very lofty. But uh, I, I just, I love Lucas Van Ness as well, and he's again another one of these guys, just like Smith, that goes top 
15, probably top 10, uh, you know, looking at just the talent, the size, the power, the potential, like he, he, the world's his oyster, man. Like he could really be as good as he wants to be. He is that talented. Um, as for where he's going to go, I mean, not that they need him, but shit, <laughs> why not Philly? <laughs> why not? You know, like they, they nah. love taking defensive linemen. <laughs> why not? Make another 10-sack guy in that rotation yeah. eventually. No, could absolutely happen. So these lists are only five players that we're really excited about on the defensive side of the ball. We're going to do the same thing on offense, but we would be remiss if we got out of here and didn't talk about some of the players that really kind of kept us up at night um, not making lists. So we both put together a short list of honorable mentions. Again, this doesn't even include everybody that we're really jazzed about. You know we love this time of year. Uh, for honorable mentions on my side, I've got Tui, Tui Pelotu from USC. Love, love, love this player. He's going to be super successful. He's going to blow up the combine. Everybody that hasn't gotten to his tape yet is going to be like, oh, my God. Yep, he's that kind of guy. Uh, DeMarvian Overshawn, the linebacker from Texas who we saw in person. Um, you met my buddy Frank, who lives about three miles north of the University of Austin, who is a longtime Longhorns watcher. Uh, also, the one guy that absolutely stumped for Patrick Mahomes, and he will never let me live that down. <laughs> He's like, no, no, I know. And it sounded very much like, I watch a lot of Texas football. This guy's going to rule the world. And I was like, I, you know, I could see it, but I'm not sure. He's like, I'm sure. And I was like, <laughs> so. I saw every, what he did to the horns. <laughs> every time I talk to Frank, I get reminded of that. But I, I pinged him this weekend when I was putting lists together. And I was like, DeMarvian Overshawn, I think, is a guy I'm really excited about who's a little bit underused in Texas, but it just has freakish traits and can do anything. Actually reminds me of another guy that used to call the freak, uh, just in terms of raw athletic potential, Javon Curse, the original freak. Like, different position, but same kind of like, he can do whatever he wants because he's 6'4", he's really fast, he's crazy instinctive. Um, Keanu Benton's a guy we mentioned, the nose tackle from Wisconsin. Love his game, great two-way player, super-duper strong. Um, and then Starling Thomas, got to give a shout-out to our Shrine Bowl guy. Um, uh, absolutely built like a linebacker, although he's, what, 5'9", uh, plays the corner position, <laughs> specifically the nickel position, with yeah. as much intensity and skill uh, as anybody in this draft is going to be overlooked, probably because he played at UAB. Um, he's not going to be overlooked by NFL scouts. They saw uh, what the show that he put on in Las Vegas – and had to put him on the list. We've got an interview coming with him uh, later on the channel. Uh, who's on your honorable mention list? So my honorable mentions are uh, Tyreek Stevenson, who's a really fun corner prospect, going to go somewhere on day two, uh, super long. He's got like 84 percentile length. Uh, not the fastest guy in the world, but plays the ball at the point of the catch better than Everybody in this class, except for Gonzalez and Witherspoon, I would say, like he he plays the ball at the catch point exceptionally well. Gets a whole bunch of PBUs as a result. Joey Skinner, Porter Jr. That's one other guy. Yeah, but Port, Porter Porter's arms are like literally thirty four and a half inch. Like <laughs> you better be good at the catch point when you're that long. Like it's he's true. got like 99th percentile length. Yep. Um, JL Skinner, six four safety with cover skills. Uh, you know, kind of like a. He's like a, I don't want to say he's a hybrid linebacker, but they do put him at linebacker as like a dimebacker quite a bit. So it's like if you want somebody who could do a little bit of both, Skinner's your guy. Was likely going to be a day two pick before he tore his pec. Now who knows? But really, really fun player. 
Um, Jose Ramirez led the nation in sacks, very versatile pass rushers, got every move in the book, you know, solid athlete, good first step, good bend, good power. He's just, again, right down the middle of the fairway pass rusher. Love him. And then uh, Byron Young, the interior defensive lineman from Alabama, probably going to get a lot more buzz as draft season goes on. Uh, another one of these guys that has flexibility to play anywhere from like three to five technique. Um, and I much better pass rusher than he's given credit for, much better athlete than he's given credit for. Love me some Byron Young. And uh, I think also he's going to go somewhere, uh, like maybe third round or so, and be a, a pretty early contributor. Um you gotta now, be super. Lap- you gotta be super careful with Byron Youngs. I know there's mo- there's multiple Byron Youngs, there's so I'm talking about Byron the Alabama Young. one. I know there's two Byron Youngs. I got nailed on this on a radio program. Somebody was in the chat and they said, "What about Byron Young?" And I started talking about the Alabama guy, the guy you're talking about. And they were like, "No, no, the Tennessee Edge." And I was like, "Oh God, there's two guys <laughs> with the exact same name." And they were on the line. same roster at the Senior Bowl too. They were on the yeah. same fucking team. <laughs> They're both really good. So yeah. be careful with your Byron Youngs this draft season. Uh, all right. Well, that'll wrap up our 10 defensive gems of 2023. Again, we have the offensive gems special coming out pretty soon here next week. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this as much as uh, we enjoyed making it. Hopefully these guys hit as much as last year's gems <laughs> did because we did pretty well last year. But I think uh, I think there's even more potential in this group. Uh, we will see you guys next week to talk offense. And until then later take care